this is Fintech Unplugged with Suresh Vajani and me, Robert Cornich. Hey Suresh, how you doing? What brings you down this neck of the woods? I mean, I haven't actually been down this area in such a long time. There's actually a really big school down here. Is this where you used to go to school then? Did you, you went private school, right? No, I did not. I, I you did. I was in a comprehensive city, really? city of Portsmouth boys' school. With commoners? With, with knives and s*** in the playground. Too, where you they mean knives from people. like Michelin chef restaurant? <laughs> they're kind of cooking the food. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. You don't know my history, do you? No, I can't imagine you mixing most dangerous school in Portsmouth. But I you know, got you through know, it. one of the things about kids these days is that they seem to they don't understand payments. They don't understand like when I talk to people about what we do, people think we work in banks. Yeah, you're right. That's true. I'm, I'm, do, do you think there's a there's a lack of knowledge or education? What's going on in schools today? I mean, we're near this school here. You can hear the kids in the playground now. I think we should do more as a sector to actually encourage and promote payments to this, to the children. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good idea. I mean, this looks like a pretty senior school. Um, do you want to go in? Do you think they'll let us in? Do you think well, we need to get permission or something? Maybe with that shirt, you might be okay. Should we ask through the fence? Let's ask through okay, the fence. Okay. Hello. Hi. Hello. Kids. You look very strange. Why are you wearing that silly shirt? I think it might be better to just go by the teachers first. Let's go. Well, let's, let's, let's go and see if the headmaster. Hang on, there's, there's a teacher there. There's, there's, well, there's an old, old guy there. Hey, hi, hi. Do you work here? Yes, I do. What what brings you here? I'm here to give a bit of careers advice. We do a lot of work with uh, schools and education, bridging that gap from education to industry. What, what's your name? You look familiar. My name's Kesson McQuana. Ketan oh, McQuana. Oh, that rings a bell. TEDx. Yes, He's a remember. TEDx speaker, yes. isn't he? Well, Ketan, can we chat with you about stuff? Do you Absolutely. mind? Absolutely. It wouldn't be right for us to be talking to the children, so let's have a word with Absolutely you. Absolutely fine. All right. Absolutely fine, yeah. All right, come on, come on down. So, you tell us a bit of background about yourself. Well, interestingly enough, my background is in IT, electronics and healthcare. I left university very, very early. I wanted to become a car designer. The professor that was teaching me didn't... Has, or has never designed a car. So yeah. I asked the question. There's a bit of a downside. There's a bit of a downside. In car design. Well, it's kind of, for me, it was really simple-minded. I'm like, how can someone who's never done something teach me how to do something? So I left university purely on this matter, and I went into the world of work. Um, I've worked my myself up over 13 years in IT, electronics, healthcare. And then in 2008, I uh, lost, or I was at risk of redundancy because of the economic crisis that we had. So I leaned on self-employment as opposed to joining the job queues. Yeah. The rest went on from there. I went on to start a venture, sell that venture very quickly. From and setting what was up. that? Car design? No, it was actually an outsourcing agency. Okay. Uh, so we were taking unemployed professionals, yeah. getting projects and outsourcing those projects to them. Okay. Uh, we sold it to a, a larger recruitment firm about 18 months later. Wow. It's around, around, around about 2011, that's when I started to think about um, what's happening on the other side of the market, how education is set up, how we're setting our future generations for the world of work, industry, and as a result, uh, we, we launched Enterprise Lab, May 2011. Okay. So, and primarily its focus was to bridge the gap between education and employment. So we did a lot of uh, um, entrepreneurial training, skills training. We were taking in projects from companies into the education setting, okay. giving young people the opportunity to bring their creativity up to the forefront. 
And the whole purpose behind that was to uh, reduce this whole thing of resumes or or what uh, what you've actually attained and, and skilled. So back in 2011, 2012... Quite radical. It well, yes. At first, I was chucked out of more colleges than uh, I was accepted into. But Lambeth started uh, started us off, and uh, from there we had a chain of forty colleges within sort of six to eight months. Following that, within a year and a half, we were actually in Europe and parts of international, uh, well, Africa and stuff like that, where we were doing a lot of entrepreneurial programming. But the whole essence behind this was to show industry that the future generation has a stake in a claim. Back then, did you know, you probably, uh, if, you're, if you guys have got kids, almost three generations would be competing for the same jobs. Wow. So it was an employer's dream back then. But a nightmare for the people trying to get those jobs. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So we, we know that young people aren't sceptical. Uh, sorry, they're sceptical. They're not, they're, they're not dumb. You know, so we, we create these opportunities. We started to create more and more visibility in what young people can go on and study in their future academic career and how prepared do you think these children are you know you meet someone and you think my god this guy is going to be an einstein uh it's it's both extremes but that's also in in adulthood as well i guess you know we've got you've got 75 million adults around the world that are literate can't read and write you know there is this whole process that both sets of extremes you've got pocket geniuses who don't even know that they're what, what they're capable of right the way through to individuals who who are more I won't do this rather than I can't do this. They just choose not to tie their laces. So almost opting out of society. Well, I think so. I mean, try and put yourself in a young person's perspective. Go back to 2011, 2012, there was what we called the missing million. We classified them as NEETS, not in education, employment or training. It's an awful branded word and then what happened the riots the yeah. summer riots that happened I remember that. it was you know young people were the focal point you know you could see them looting you could see them doing all these things we we knew that at that time we as in a select group of entrepreneurs and, and and people that are pushing on the uk government we knew that things needed to change of course young people just needed an opportunity so i created an event in 2012 called youth enterprise live and the whole idea was to bridge Education, enterprise, industry, all together. So that's youth and enterprise live. Yeah, it's still was by it like far. a one-off event. Was <laughs> it like a one day or was it a week? Well, <laughs> well, actually, it was my vision, my brainchild for that was to actually create one of the UK's largest events for young people. Eighteen mm-hmm. to thirties was really where we were focused, but it was open from fifteen right the way up. We impacted over eighteen and a half thousand young people over a two-day wow. event. We had we had coach loads of youngsters at three o'clock in the morning from getting on coaches from Newcastle coming down to London for this kind of event. Three quarters of a million pounds was given away on startup loan funding uh, to help 18 to 30 year old start up their own businesses. 150,000 pounds was given away on social enterprise projects for young people to go back into their communities and do things. We had 200 jobs because uh, we had job interviews going on um, and 2,000 apprenticeships or interview. Uh, wow, all uh, in two days. All in two days. And it showed that actually when we could get people together, Startup Britain uh, kicked off their Startup Britain How many Britain exhibitors did you have for that? We had 65 seminars in over 300 exhibitors wow. over, over a two-day period. Where was that? Where was it based? Was it was it? based in Earls Court. Right. Yeah, in fact, I had, to tend, I had to tender with George Michael back then, basically, because he was having his concert the next, no. the next day oh that we were God. finishing, actually. One of the things we feel almost in the payment fintech space yeah. is that we're not... 
raising our head and raising our profile when it comes to some of these youngsters and they don't really see fintech as an industry as a sector we're almost mixed in with banking and and and, mm. and the sorts what do you think we as a sector should be doing to encourage you know the next breed of entrepreneurs to kind of revolutionize the payment space the fintech space it's a really good question um when i was younger when i was at school uh, we used to have the local bank or building society coming into the school doing mm-hmm. like a young saver scheme so used to so give you a kind little of how financial education really yeah but in a very kind of practical way as opposed to an, uh, kind of a sit down read a book and get a theory kind of base and this is the whole thing if you sit in a traditional classroom today and try to educate young people on something you'll lose them this is an era of so they digital... don't want to be preached to no not at all they know more than you think they know and they've got the internet. Yeah. We say that about our listeners all the time. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> just just think, like, uh, 10, 15 years ago, there were like, what, 50 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. That was yes. the whole knowledge any child could ever have, or any adult for that matter, pretty much. That was it. Yeah. Now they've, that's like a minutiae, that's a, that's a fraction of a fraction of a percent of what's available to these kids on the internet that they can get at a touch of a button. So why do they need to learn all that stuff? Because we've become um, a nation of, or, or a generation, or we have generations of laziness. Because there's so much access to information, people are using predicated search to a way they ask Google for answers rather than going through and stimulating and understanding what those actual parts are. You know, what should the fintech sector do more of? It's not just about going in and educating people about fintech. You've got to be more practical set up challenges from the fintech sector so what like is, hackathons and amazing that's exactly right. what we did when we went into colleges we used to take a live business challenge so as enterprise lab is not just an agency that was supporting young young people uh, through education to industry we were also a business consultancy or we are a business consultancy so we used to take our clients biggest challenges into the education environment and for seven weeks we'd set them a challenge we say here is, the, here is the problem. You've got to work out a solution for it. You've got to pitch that solution back to the prospective employer. And the employer would, you know, by default, select a winning campaign and then give that individual an opportunity to either roll out the project, come out and do a, an internship or an experience. To give you an example, we had the National Space Agency in Leicestershire come down, provide a project for seven weeks to groups of students at Lambeth College where they had to look at how they could get a product into to Mars, basically. That's all it was. A group of five girls won the competition and that summer they were taken to NASA in the States. Oh, wow. By, wow. by them. So my point is, stimulate them. Bring it into reality. So look, FinTech has its opportunities. It also has its challenges. You know, whether it's policy, whether it's technology, whether it's uh, money transfer, payments processing, whatever it actually is. Do you think it's interesting enough as a sector? You've got fintech competing with space, science, NASA. I mean, do you think it will stimulate the youth to say, I want to work there? If you as an industry look at it that way, you're going to fail. Don't think of making fintech attractive. You've got to make the application of what you can do in fintech attractive. That's the most important thing. Why? Because they can feel the vibration of what they do. If it's premeditated, if it's controlled in an environment, if it's a scenario based that's just set up, you know, which which I've seen some business studies teachers do, you know, create this like three people left school and, and decided to start up a business and it's not real, 
young people don't feel that they're, they're progressing. Mm. So the first thing about it is take away this whole thing of making the industry sexy or attractive and actually start to think about what could happen because your next greatest idea is sitting in one of those rooms. So you talk to young people, their their biggest interest and their dream is, yes, like you say, become a YouTube sensation. Mm. Actually, the deep down desire, they just want to be rich. They just want to be wealthy. <laughs> so they're just completely money. That's it. I, the amount of people, like young people I talk to, they just, I you know... And I'm going to use their terminology. I want to make paper. That's all they say. I want, I want to, to make, make paper. paper. This is how they talk See? on the street, Robert. This is paper. This yes, is street talk. That's, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what we don't want. We want to, we want to create virtual paper. Paper, yes. <laughs> no, no, paper should go. You have described yourself as an introvert. Do you think that introverts should be added to the list of undervalued character types is there a character type of introvert? I think there is a, there is a whole irony about um, listing them as undervalued. Introverts actually like to stay behind the scene. I do a lot of my work behind the scene. I'm not very much a public figure. Other than on YouTube and TED Talks? Small, small amounts. Um, I do a lot more work behind the scenes type of thing. I have an extrovert element about me, mm-hmm. but introverts want to be in that kind of incubated in that environment of a curtain around them where they don't feel so exposed so how do you deal with teaching someone that is has that characteristic in their personality how do you get them to get into the market today's marketplace is is all about show show you're absolutely right the first thing you've got to do is be very empathetic I think you've got to be an introvert to be able to work with introverts or spot them yeah. to a certain extent. Because even talking to me today, you may you may turn around and say, you don't seem an introvert. But really deep down, there is this whole you, thing you, about you've, me. You've fought against it to put this to persona a certain, up. To a certain degree, yes. Bringing in kind of how you work with introverts is actually understanding and showing them where they can, uh, where they spark their brilliance. So I think impact no, no. and inclusion is going to be very important. No, I've, I've intentionally stayed very quiet with that answer, right? Because you're the introvert because, you are. Because the introvert I am. But because, you know, rarely do we do any research about the guests that we have. <laughs> but I, I, I know some information about our guests that contradicts okay. that. Okay, show which me. Which is that our guest was on live TV on MasterChef. No. <laughs> yeah, so I think, that, I think that line could be, like, crossed out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, live on MasterChef. Tell us. Well, you know, that was me trying to become an extrovert from... I thought maybe I needed a, a change in persona. Thanks for that, sir. So I really so, appreciate it. So you got to meet Greg. Yes, and uh, and the other one, which I we will not one. call him. It, yeah, um, I didn't have the what year greatest... Was that? What year was 2009. That? I didn't have the greatest experience no? while I was on there, purely because of John Tarot. Uh But uh, other than that, it was a... It was a great experience trying to go through the application process and, and getting it through. Considering I didn't even apply for the program, someone I else... I thought you were going to say, considering I couldn't even cook. <laughs> I couldn't. Actually, I couldn't even then, really. But it was great fun. Great fun going on to the, getting onto the show and stuff. And that was on TV? Yeah, that was on TV. You're going to get a lot of people like watching it now on YouTube. Yeah, trying, to look, trying to find it. Yeah. I, I've, I've spent a long time trying to Hiding get it. Hiding it, yes. <laughs> They film everything, then. Everything, and then absolutely. They edit it very every heavily. time, every time you go down to the oven, this camera comes in and zooms into you. Oh my god! And then it got to the 30, last thirty seconds when you're allowed, you know, mm. when you're supposed to present and plate your food. And I just made a decision which 
will haunt me for the rest of my life basically i decided to put the whole thing on the plate as opposed to a slice and although it tastes really good and that's what greg said he goes john Torres said he doesn't like it so they put a woman that put hazelnut in her spaghetti through and i'm like i don't know that, that that's how bad it was <laughs> What is the biggest name that you can tell us that you've advised or mentored? Uh, well, okay, so apart from doing a bit of work with Prime for Cameron, um, I'm actually working currently with the, the Prime Minister of Thailand, um, and we're also starting a project next year with the Princess of Kuwait. Um, oh, wow. So these are people... So some, yeah, global. Well, I think the, the, the opportunity after doing Youth Enterprise Live gave me this uh, launch pad. So I, I thought that there is a long story behind it, but I thought I was going to get arrested uh, and, and put into prison after doing Youth Enterprise Live um, by the Prime Minister because I manhandled him in Downing Cameron. Street. Cameron. Yes. Uh, in fact, he offered me an opportunity to become a youth uh, policy advisor on youth and stuff like this. And, and you punched him. No, I took, <laughs> I took the role. Call that a job. But I think as soon as as soon as I had the opportunity of doing something with Downing Street and um, and the UK government, you you start to come up on other people's radars. Got so you. I had a lot of governments and ministries um, starting to approach me for work with youth and young and and doing that kind of transition stuff. I did some event consultancy and stuff, and I then took the advantage or the opportunity then move that within. Um, the work that Enterprise Lab does today as well. So, you know, brought it in, looked at economic policy advising, looking at business creation, looking at how um, governments can spend or invest their money into growing small to medium businesses, which is where where I, where I have my biggest gripe and point. You know, I think the most economies and are doing a lot to support startup mm-hmm. and they put a lot of relationship and weight of that relationship with corporations but it's the small to medium business which suffers they're overtaxed they're under under supported these kind of businesses live in in glass cubes Mm. Um, they can see the out they can see where they want to go let me just give you a little bit of an idea of Mm -hmm. how much of a crisis it could become in the uk let alone anywhere else 2018 we recorded 5.7 million businesses, private businesses registered in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's actually down 22,000 from uh, year-on-year growth. Actually, mm-hmm. 2.2 million more businesses than we had in 2000. That's a lot. That's one statistic I want to give That's you. That's a positive statistic. It is a positive. But 96% of these businesses... 96. 96 of that 5.7 mm-hmm. um, employ less than 10 and are deemed to be a micro micro business. Yeah. yeah. Now, one of the biggest issues with micro enterprises is is they're usually started by one or two people, mm-hmm. and they tend to be served by one or two people. These businesses find it very hard to resource or grow, and the reason why is two two distinct things. It's a mindset thing. It's either the business doesn't know how to do it, mm-hmm. or they don't know what to what to actually do or where to actually start. Now. What you're going to have here is a situation where we're seven years or eight years into developing, start, you know, startups and nurturing startups. So that the the reason why we started up startup loans here in the UK was to to stimulate a wave of self-employment, getting people off the unemployment grid. People can start generating their own income, mm. which they can spend into the local economy. But a startup, by by its very nature, on average, will create three new jobs in three years. Okay. Okay. 
Whereas the net of new jobs will actually come from small to medium businesses. This is where, but the, the thing with this is, is we did have it back back then, you know, maybe 2014, 2015, we had Innovate UK, which came in and with the, you know, the TSB yeah. to, to, to look at investing into small to medium businesses, then the Chancellor, then the Chancellor, etc. Uh, Exchequer, George Osborne decided to cut um, business spend, which meant programs like this fell off the floor overnight. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and now what we have is uh, we have a whole population of micro businesses. Ninety six percent of those are, which which is okay in the fact that it's stimulating a certain amount of economy. But if we don't grow these businesses and we don't put support into that small to medium business, new jobs won't be c- uh, created, uh, and half of these businesses will start to to fall to down. Fail. Yeah. They will start to move towards to fail. Now, Harvard Business Review did a study in 2015, and they said the typical startup will fail within four years. And let me give you some quick numbers with the UK. Since 2015, 383,000 businesses started, 283,000 businesses failed. 414,000 businesses were born in 2016, 328,000 failed. 382,000 businesses opened in 2017, and 357 businesses thousand uh, businesses failed that's not a good ratio what it shows is as much as you're pumping in it's falling out yeah, the, what, on the what outside. Is, what is the output from those failed businesses are you is that people like losing their momentum to do anything do they do they fall out forever or, or are they making the new businesses that come in the following year four factors number one most people come into business thinking uh, either from thinking it's like they can turn their hobby into some sort of economic Thing. So it's a hobby that they get paid for. Yeah, You've got a grasp of people who perhaps, like myself, uh, were made redundant or perhaps they wanted to leave corporate life and now get into this, uh, onto this ladder of actually having their own personal lifestyle business and stuff like as such. The third element to this is, is we've, as I said, we've put so much effort into start starting up businesses. We haven't taught or given support on how to grow these businesses. So the mindset of these people are the fact that I've just got to keep going and going and going, and eventually they run out. I haven't got the statistic, but I can tell you there's probably a high amount of the that 90 96% of mm. businesses that are currently running insolvent as well. So you've got certain sectors like fintech which have grown rapidly, and you know, the UK by far, you know, globally is seen iconic for it for what it does in fintech. Businesses here grow quite fast within that within that sector. Tech companies are and tech businesses are growing a, a, a lot faster. But I'm I'm finding CTOs that I'm meeting or business owners or founders of these businesses who are great technically. They don't have the ability when it comes to understanding how to how to run and forward the business. A lot of the people that walk into our virtual offices these days and say, "Can you help me?" What they're looking at is they're looking at the the end of a shotgun barrel, basically, saying that I've got 30 days or 60 days before. So they're coming to you at the very end of their line. Yeah. And, and and this stuff that, well, we met you in the playground at the beginning, yeah. where, where you're, how do you get that into grass, the grassroots to, to, to get the mindset to how, how these people could run these businesses? I mean, if, 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 I'm, if we got our man in the street, for example, to go in and say to the kids in the playground, how do you make paper, was it you said? Yeah, Jeff. Jeff, can you go in a playground and ask one, how do you make paper, and two, what do you think fintech is? Can you ask those two questions? Is he also CB? Is it CBA tested, checked? 
What does CBA? Is that the Centre of British Enterprise? That's the one. It means that you can talk to children. No, that's DBS. That's... <laughs> I think CBA is child slang for can't be arsed. Can't be arsed. <laughs> that's a good one. I'll take that. Um, I like that. Jeff can get stroppy at times. Yeah. The man on the street. It could be a woman. How do you make paper? Well, I think you cut down trees, first of all. Then trucks take them. Then they shred them up. Then I think they squash them, roll them. Then I think it makes paper. What do you think fintech is? I think fintech, and it's got to do with payments, makes new ideas to make the world easier to to use payments for example credit cards um rings that you can swipe at the train station watches that you can swipe that's why i think fintech that's why i think fintech is the man on the street it could be a woman so so Ken, out of curiosity if yes. you took your wallet out right now yes what cards are you carrying <sighs> do i really have to <laughs> yeah i mean i'm hoping that a condom doesn't fly out. So what, <laughs> what cards do you um <laughs> I have some credit cards, I have some standard banking bank cards. cards, I've got a digital banking card. What are they? What brand is on your digital bank? Revolut. you got a Revolut? I have a Revolut. And when did you get a Revolut? How long ago? Uh, May moons ago. I, I think I've had a Revolut for two, three years now, I think. For me, it gives me transitioning. I, I can move around so freely and effortlessly. Uh, I do a lot of travel with my, my, mm-hmm. with my business. We, we procure projects in 26 countries and I'm usually on a plane somewhere. Um, being able to be in another part of the world and get access instantly without issue. All the friction or, that you might friction. get with normal bank. Yeah, that's one thing. The second element is payments for me as well. I have people in Europe and other parts of the world that I have to pay. We also have a business account with Revolut. We can actually start to do payments much, much more easier. So for me, it was... It broke the barrier of being tied down to particular rules. Do you miss not having a branch? No. When I'm not travelling, I, I work from home. I chose not to have, uh, you, you know, London officing and stuff as such. But uh, I do all my banking online or, or using online banking tools. I'll give you one live example. Last week, we received an invoice from Albania. Mm-hmm. And for the hell of me, I cannot make a payment to Albania. So I... Even through my business banking account, I went to them and I told, I'm not going to mention their name, but I contacted them. I said, I'm trying to send money to Albania. And I got, I have a, it's a business invoice. Now, did we received... Ring, was it Liam Neeson? <laughs> <laughs> I should have, I think. I could have got a result, a better result. But, you know, we receive money from Albania. We have Albanian clients, you know, but we receive money. But if I'm trying to send money... It's almost near on people. Now, I know that they're not in Europe and they're not part of SEPA and stuff like this, but come on. You know, they said, oh, you can do it, but you're going to have to go into branch to make the, the yeah, payment. Going to branch. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I said to I said to the, uh, I said to my guy who's out there who sent the invoice, I said, maybe we should set you up with a digital banking account as well. And I go, let's, let's move you down this way. So for me, digital banking is revolutionizing the way in which we can A, do business or move around. Uh, and Revolut is actually quite interesting. Uh, I read recently that they're now opening up 
a part of their platform that will make it even better for easier for you to invest. So looking at stocks and trading and stuff like this, making more visibility. So they are disrupting this space. And I love anyone that's doing something quite disruptive. I work with Refison Bank, one of my clients, one of the innovations that we do with them because we run a design thinking and innovation program mm-hmm. for, for, for the banking sector is they're looking now at using biometrics and things like that for ATMs so you don't have uh, cash cards and check cards or chip and pin anymore. I think the future of it is is you'll put your thumbprint down on a contactless payment machine in the future where identity is moving all down this way. So there is less and less need. Now, Refison is one itself. The Albanian side of Refison had 84 Mm. branches. Now, one as you solve one problem it triggers another. Yeah. So now they've got all these branches which people are not going to. What are they going to do with that? So we did a whole innovation program around that. And what did we do? We actually allowed, they created a thing called Innovation Lab, which they pushed out to young customers and said, we've got all these spaces, what could you do with them? People turning them into cafes, digital web spaces. That's a good resource use. Yeah. So, but again, that comes back to this whole spin of involve your future generation because they're your future customer. They're your future yeah. uh, directors, the leaders. Let them be involved in the decision-making process. Don't yeah. lecture them. Let them make a decision. Absolutely. So I'm going to dive back into the bit of confusion. And oh, this, this, is, this is an interesting one. Have you ever tried to convince a corporate client that they should let their people have a nap or watch a movie whenever they like? Give us, give us a where's this come from is this where this is Robert you do this all the time what do you mean I've got pictures of you napping in weird places yeah yeah aeroplanes yes but keep your mouth shut when you're sleeping (laughs) (laughs) is this a blowfish or is this Robert yeah I mean he's he's very disruptive just don't fall asleep near him (laughs) anyway what what sort of unusual disruptive ideas have you come up with so personal productivity is exactly that it's personal to everyone I spend a lot of time as I say, working from home, I have I have things like Netflix or Prime on. I'm watching. I'm doing. I only work on things when I feel productive, primarily because I just don't want to go back and have to redo or undo all of that bad work when I'm not in a great mood. People go for walks. Other people, um, you know, go off and work on something else. Microsoft created Garage, for example, which is a way of actually for employees to go down into a garage environment and go and make something. You think Apple and most of these big brands were invented in a garage. So it's it's this whole thing of distraction to become more productive. Have we ever pitched or presented this to a corporate model? Yes, we've, we're working with Vodafone at the moment um, and we're also working with PepsiCo. Mm-hmm. And in fact, PepsiCo, primarily with a Latin American arm, is looking more at productivity. So we're looking at health well-being practices for productivity so there's a bit of science that's going on everyone's kind of take these tests and they get they get an evaluation done on the biochemistry of their of their cells and it tells them about their eating habits but, and skin you remember of stock well we're doing it as a point of a point mm-hmm. trial at, at this moment in time but what we can tell that is people's when they lag how they're going to lag what they're going to lag in and you know sleep sleep deprivation is one of the biggest things about uh, lack of productivity oh. I have snoozes, probably three or four snoozes a day, um, you know, 15, 20 minute power naps, primarily because what you're doing here is when you focus on work, if you focus for more than 25 to 30 minutes on one thing, yeah, you are now, after that, you're going to start to undo all the good stuff that you did in that period of time. So you should step away 
from what you're doing after a period of time. So whether it's you get up and make a cup of coffee and come back, change the dynamic in something, keeps a little bit of productivity going. But sleep, and it's scientifically told that sleep patterns do create an increased productivity. So we're, we're looking at it. I'm not saying that they're bought into it, but we've got to prove that there are certain things within, within, within this which, which will help create productivity. Obviously, don't ask the, the people that are on the road selling no, to, to be I'm, having that. I'm, I'm thinking long-distance lorry drivers taking a nap while you're driving is not a good idea, but however, maybe they, pull into a site. You know, and there are more and more tests coming out to show, you know, when they go, go through simulators, you know, on how attentive they are to the road. Let's not forget technology is coming in in a way as well. Tesla are thinking about disrupting the whole HGV market in, in the US by bringing driverless, driverless well, trucks. trucks, which will which will really disrupt in particular ways. But um, when it comes back to productivity, everyone has it. Someone has a routine in the morning. Some have routines in the evenings. For me, I don't have a morning or evening routine. My routine is during the day. Suresh, wake up. Suresh. <laughs> oh, just took a power nap. I know. Blue, but... I mean, I feel fresh now. That was, Good. The, that was the power of uh, thought. That the you power know. of thought. <laughs> yeah, Suresh so, doesn't have that. You oh, need where, to dive into the bit of confusion. Where are we? Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm concentrating. So you ran a session at the Women's Economic Forum in India a couple of years ago. Yeah. Do you think fintech has changed much since then in terms of its inclusivity of women and diversity in general? Uh, well, um, diversity, inclusion, these, these are all big. They're big buzzwords, aren't they? Yeah, just as much they, as mental health. Do they mean anything? Moments. Well, you think... you. If, if you look on things like LinkedIn and some of the stories that trend, anyone that's now announcing that they've now got a first female CEO, you know, everyone's doing it at this yeah, moment. Yeah, I was on the um, Gatwick Airport on the conveyor thing, and you know that the person on the yeah. wall, one of the person on the wall was, I think it was, maybe it was Heathrow, so either Heathrow or Gatwick Express was saying, we now have 33% female drivers on our trains. I'm thinking, that's still only a third. third. Yeah. So what, why are you... Why is that such a big announcement? Yeah, it's, it shouldn't be an announcement, and should it? No, absolutely. And even then, if you still look at the US statistics, um, 2017's last result that I had is still less than 24% of women startup businesses yeah. are there. And they're still under, the you know, it's still a major under the threshold with women in leadership roles. Now, fintech, you know, is just like any other industry. You know, it's going to have its complications. Business itself generally is a male-dominated environment, but you're seeing more and more female founders coming forward. We see more and more people when they come to us for capital raising. Mm. More, I get right now we get a pendulum swing of more female founders coming in. Um, you've got more and more investment funds that are being built for for female founders. When I was giving that talk in in India, it was primarily about about what you believe, your mindset, what you want to go out and pursue. You know, don't take no for an answer. There's more than one answer to any one question. So don't have to do everything the same particular way as everyone else does. And, you know, the audience that it appealed to most, it was women. Naturally, there was it was a women's economic forum, although there were some men there. But women coming back to me, you know, um, and that's where I met the, the Princess of Kuwait as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were coming back and saying, look, you know, it's it's tough for a woman in in a such a male dominated industry and i said well stop looking at it as a male dominated industry it's an equal opportunity just because you're a woman 
if you start to build into this thing that you you don't you get less you get treated differently you get uh, uh, the results are different you 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 just build a sense of entitlement into yourself so this actually it, it goes against so it's almost a mindset I think so yeah. because you know even though the women's economic forum is for women it, it still had men in there but there I still know so many groups right now which is strictly women only I mean we've got our first space mission which is going to be all female uh, astronauts to uh, to be launched soon females are pushing more and more of the boundaries I think women have a completely different mindset and way to run businesses than men you know it's just the way that we're wired in this particular way when it comes to productivity getting things done i mean you look at paypal australia one of our another one of our clients completely women women dominated but for me the biggest thing is this whole women men thing there should be no entitlement thing i think it's ironic or it goes against the grain of someone saying women should have inclusion that's why we have women only events it doesn't make sense i think yes have a focus to say we're trying to empower more women but you still got to use it. Ironically, at that event, the Women's Economic Forum, mm-hmm. I was the only one guy that was given uh, an award. So, oh, wow. uh, on the uh, on the stage at that time, being given an award with uh, a load of other women, I'm like, okay, now I feel like the minority. So I kind of so understand kind of what understood you mean, it, yeah. to to a certain degree. But I still think this whole thing of of women and men uh, in business and in leadership has a has a different effect. Working with women, I find that they get things a lot faster. They bring less emotion into it's not the, an emotional the decision. No, it's yeah, a, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a practical one. Yeah. We worked in schools as well. You look at the girls' teams and, and colleges when we were doing our challenges. The girls' teams were you know highly motivated, organized. People knew what they're doing. Okay, there's a little bit of molly coddling going on, but they're young to that sense. Yeah, yeah, but they get on with it. Whereas you see the guys' teams, that you know it took it took almost like two or three sessions to get them into the swing of things, for example. So if you look at all industry as a whole, things are changing, but do they need to be presented in this particular way? Like exactly. you just mentioned, 33%. Yeah. I think you're doing yourself a disservice saying that. Yeah. True. I could rather say that over the last three years, we've trebled the amount yeah. of women. That would be a more positive statement. But I just heard the school bell ring. That means within five minutes, there's going to be over 200 pupils running into this canteen. (laughs) So I guess we better roll this up a bit. Well, those doors are opening. I think, watch out. They're all running. Oh, my God. God. um, Quickly, duck. We need to get out out quick. Okay, thank you very, very much. Thank you. We really had a great time. I think it was really inspirational. Uh, a lot of messages out there for people that are out there in the starting up Robert, and getting into the industry. Robert, the school security guard's looking at us. We need to go now. <laughs> we you move quickly. Um, let's just pretend we're teachers. Oh, no. Run!